This is a brand new six-tape album that I have entitled The Believer's Authority. And today we're going to talk about law enforcement. And basically one of the points that I've been making is that authority is us taking our responsibility and doing what God told us to do. As a whole, the church has not accepted the authority that God has given us. They are asking God to heal when the Scripture says that He told us to go heal the sick. Now, it's His power, but that has been put under our authority. And instead of us taking that responsibility and using it, we've been asking God to heal the sick. We've been asking God to set us free. We've been asking God to get the devil off of our case. And on and on you could go. And we just haven't taken our God-given authority and used it. So as we talk about using this authority... One of the concepts that I believe is crucial that we get to exercise our authority is to recognize that all authority does is enforce law. You know, in the natural realm, if you have a policeman, we call them a law enforcement officer. And all they do is they only have authority to enforce things that are already established at law. A policeman doesn't go out and make up the law. It's not just that he is absolute dictator and that he can do whatever he wants to. He's limited in what he can do. All he can do is enforce laws that are already in effect. And also, this is the way that it is in the spiritual realm. All a Christian is, is a person who has been born again. They've been given this supernatural, God-given, divine power, but there are laws about how it works. And all we can do is enforce the law. We can't use God's power and use it in any selfish way because, again, there isn't a law passed that, you know, God is going to use His power just to advance you, just to give you the things that you are lusting for. But instead, we've got to learn what the laws of the kingdom of God are and then recognize that our authority is simply enforcing spiritual laws. Just like in the natural realm, We have people who try and violate the laws of the land. And so there has to be police officers, law enforcement officers, people who go out and enforce those laws. Well, it's the same thing in the spiritual realm. Not everyone is obeying spiritual laws. And, of course, in the spiritual realm, we have demons that we're dealing with, and they are just constantly trying to oppose us and inflict their Uh, perspective, their things on us instead of God's things, and you have to enforce the laws that have been given to you. But here's a point that I want to make as we start talking about this, and that is that most people do not see the kingdom of God as operating under law. Instead, they kind of see it as under God, and God changes His moods. Uh, People will say things like, you never know what God's going to do. They will say things like, you can't put God in a box. And you know, in in a sense, that's true. In other words, God may not fit in your box. You may not have it all figured out. And God might be bigger and outside of the little box that you've contained. But God has established spiritual laws that even He will not break. Psalms 138 verse 2 says that God has magnified His Word above His name. Now, there's many scriptures that talk about the name of Jesus and how powerful it is that at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess, Philippians chapter 2. And as powerful as the name of Jesus is, the scripture says in Psalms 138 verse 2 that God has magnified His Word 
even above his name. You know what? The name of a person is no better than the word. If they are a liar, if they don't keep their word, well, then their name isn't accounted for anything. Well, the name of Jesus is a powerful name, but it's powerful because he never breaks his word. When God says something, it becomes a legal binding contract. Psalms chapter 89 verse 34 says, My covenant will I not break nor alter the thing that has gone forth out of my lips. When God speaks something out of His mouth, His word is a covenant. It's a uh, contract. He will not break it. Psalms, uh, excuse me, it's um, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says that He upholds all things by the word of His power. In other words, this whole universe is held together by the integrity and the power of His Word. If God was to ever violate His Word, if He was to ever break a promise, this whole world, universe, you and I would self-destruct. It's God's integrity that holds everything together. And when God speaks something out of His mouth, it becomes a contract. It's a law. He will not change it. And see, you've got to get this concept if you are going to effectively use your authority. You've got to know what the laws are. See, if a policeman was, uh, you know, hired and made a policeman, and then he says, all right, so what are the laws that I'm supposed to infect, uh, um, enforce? And if the person says, well, you just go out and uh, you don't know what the laws are. You just go out and see it and try if it works. See if the people will submit to it. See, that's not the attitude that they have. What they do, they are grilled in what the ordinances are, what is permissible, what's right and what's wrong. And a law enforcement officer has to know the law and then he enforces the law. And he's limited by the law. He can't go beyond the law. He can't do things on his own. He does have authority, but his authority ends at the end of a law. If there isn't a law prescribing the things that he's trying to enforce, then he can't do it. And it's the same thing in the spirit realm. See, when we start talking about the authority of the believer, if you don't understand what we're going to be talking about these next few days, then you could go out and just think it's up to you to pick and choose and you say, well, I'm going to do this. Well, is there a law that promised you that God would enforce that? Is there a law that says, for instance, that you can do these things that you're trying to take your authority and make come to pass? You have to know what the laws are. You cannot just use authority uh, at your own selfish whims and to do your own thing. Let me give you a scripture on this out of Romans chapter 3 and in verse 27. I'm breaking right into the midst of a teaching here, but he said in Romans 3, 27, it says, Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. This is saying that faith has a law. There is a law of faith. You know, when you talk about a law, if you're talking about in the natural realm, if you're, if you're saying the law of gravity, the law of aerodynamics, uh, the law of uh, thrust and lift, you know, there's all kinds of these natural laws. What you mean by saying that it's a law is that it's constant. It's always this way. And it's universal. See, if there was something that operated here in Colorado, say, for instance, if gravity operated here in Colorado, but you could go into some other state or into some other country and there wasn't gravity there, well, then this wouldn't be a law. It would be a phenomenon. A law means that it's consistent for everybody. Everybody on this planet operates under these same laws. It's the same for everybody, and it's always that way. See, gravity doesn't just spike every once in a while. 
Now, you will see some things that every once in a while might make you think things like that. For instance, a few years back, there was a plane that was um, landing in Colorado Springs, and it was banking, making a turn to come in to land. And all of a sudden, that plane actually sped up. They determined all these things through the investigation. This plane actually sped up as it was banking, and it accelerated going into the ground. And that plane just dove into the ground and made a crater. And the the largest piece of that plane was only like a foot or two foot square. It just exploded. Every person was killed. They came in and they did uh, about a three-year or four-year worth of research, and they never could find out a reason. They never did find a mechanical reason. They didn't find pilot error. They didn't find any of these things. But here's the important point. They didn't say, well, gravity just increased 10 times and all of a sudden made that plane do that. No, they don't think that. They don't even accept that because, see, gravity is a law. It's consistent. Now, they did never find a reason why that plane crashed. They just wrote it off to unknown reasons. But they didn't doubt the law. They didn't say, well, aerodynamics just ceased to operate. No, because it's a law. That means it's consistent. It always operates this way. And this is one thing that I really believe you must be able to get if you were ever going to have an efficient, effective, powerful relationship with God. You've got to get out of this mindset that God just sometimes wills to do this. Sometimes He wills to do this. You don't know what kind of a mood God is in. God might let this person, uh, baby, just be mongoloid the rest of their life because that's the way that God is this time, and then he chooses to heal this other one, and you never know what God's going to do. That is not so. That is not the way the kingdom operates. God is one that created this heaven and earth, and it is so orderly. It is so systematic that you can go back 10 years, 10,000 years, and uh, find out exactly where Mars and Jupiter and Saturn and all of these planets were because everything is just like clockwork. It's perfect. It's consistent. You can project into the future and you can project when there's going to be a lunar eclipse and when there's going to be a solar eclipse because everything is so perfect in the way that God created it. And it's amazing to me that people think that a God who just does things sporadically and you never know what God's going to do would create such order. See, order didn't come from chaos. God himself is orderly. God himself created laws. God himself is consistent and predictable because he operates by spiritual laws. And you've got to get this concept. You've got to find out what these spiritual laws are. And then you take your authority as a believer and all you are is a law enforcer. If you are ignorant of the word of God, then you aren't going to have effective uh, authority released in your life because Satan will just talk you out of it. You know, I've heard stories before about people. uh, One of them is uh, about this man that back in the days when they still traveled across the Atlantic by ship, that he saved all of the money that he had, scraped everything he had together to buy a ticket and to come to the United States. And all he had left was just a tiny bit of money to get some crackers and cheese. And for that month or two-month voyage across the Atlantic, this guy just ate crackers and cheese. He watched the other people in the dining room. I mean, just, you know, dining on, uh, you know, all of this 
a bounty of food. They were, it was just a, amazing, the food that they sh- serve on these ships. He saw that, but he didn't have money for the meal, so he just ate his little bit of crackers and cheese. And one of the last days of the voyage, one of the porters came up to him and asked him, and says, Sir, I noticed that you haven't ever joined us in the dining room. Was there something that we've done that's offended you? Why didn't you eat with us on this voyage? And the man said, oh, no, I'm not offended at all. He says, I would have loved to have eaten with you. It looked so good, but I just didn't have any money left. All I had was enough to get me some crackers and cheese. And he says, that's all I had. And the porter said, but didn't you realize that the meals came with the price of the ticket? That was included in the price that you paid. See, this man was ignorant of what was rightfully his. And because of it, he scrimped and did without when the truth was he could have been dining and eating steak and caviar or anything he wanted throughout that entire trip. Well, in the same way, you see, we are ignorant of what God has given us. And because of this, Satan has convinced some people that, you know what, well, you just aren't ever going to really prosper. You're barely going to have enough to get by. Get by. And if you don't know that prosperity is one of these laws that God has commanded a blessing upon you, you are blessed in everything that you do. Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you aren't aware of the laws of prosperity and how that God delights in the prosperity of His servants, Psalms chapter 35 verse 27. If you don't know these things, see, then through ignorance you won't enforce and demand and receive what is rightfully yours. So for a believer to use his authority and things to come to pass, it really all comes back to you have to know what the laws are. You have to know what has been provided for you. You need to get this concept that God doesn't just move one time and heal a person, but then the next person he may heal or not heal. You know, I prayed with a woman just yesterday. I had a mutual friend that kind of forced me to pray for this woman. She had arthritis. And I was trying to get her to a place of faith. And I was telling her about people that I had seen healed of arthritis and how that arthritis is no problem, that I had seen thousands of people healed of arthritis. And this woman just looked at me and she says, well, she says, I believe God can heal, but I don't believe you can heal. Well, it was true in the sense that it's not my power, but see, that authority has been given unto me. And she was immediately put off and began to start kind of resisting what I was doing. And then she made the statement of, well, it just depends on whether it's God's will. She believed God could do it, but she didn't see it as a law, as something that was already done. Uh, I'm not going to teach on healing right here, but I just want to use this as an illustration that God has already healed every person that will ever be healed. By His stripes we were healed. The Lord is not healing people right now. He healed people 2,000 years ago when Jesus bore those stripes on His back. And by His stripes we were healed, 1 Peter 2.24. So His part is already done. The law has been passed. The right is there. It belongs to us. But now it's up to us as believers to know what God's will is and command this to come to pass. Here's another passage of Scripture that goes right along with this. Is out of 1 John chapter 5. I think it's 14 and 15. It says, This is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He heareth us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions we desired of Him. 
It says, this is the confidence that we have that if we ask anything according to His will, we know that He hears us, and if we know that He hears us, then we know we have these petitions. See, the whole thing hinges on what is God's will. And some people will just say, well, you know, you never know what God's will is. See, again, that kind of thought is coming against this whole principle that I'm trying to lay down. If you think that God just sometimes wills for a person to be saved, sometimes He doesn't will for them to be saved. Sometimes it's God's will for them to be healed. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes God wants to prosper a person. Sometimes God wants you to live in poverty. If you think that God is totally unpredictable, then you will never have effective authority. You will never use it because you aren't sure what the laws are. You don't know what God's will is. Again, go back to a policeman. If a policeman thought that sometimes it's okay to speed, other times it's not okay to speed. See, that's not the way it is. Sometimes the law is in effect. Sometimes the law is in effect. Sometimes it's okay to rob a bank, but other times it's not okay to rob a bank. Sometimes it's okay to murder. Other times it's not okay to murder. No, that's not the way the law is. The law is constant. It's the same for everybody. We will make a statement that nobody is above the law. Even politicians or whoever it is, even a policeman or whatever, if they break the law, they have to be held accountable. Now, it doesn't always work that way, but that is the philosophy, and that's the way that we uh, desire to see things work out. Well, it's the same thing in the spiritual realm. There are no exceptions. There aren't some people that the Word works for and other people that it doesn't. It's not God that just likes some people. And because of that, the power of God works in other people, He just doesn't like, and so aren't you aren't going to receive. That's not it at all. God has established laws. And see, when you say, this is a confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, what is God's will? Well, some people say, you just can't know God's will. Yes, you can. This Bible is God's will. When God said in 3 John, verse 2, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. That word wish there, it means this is God's will. This is His desire for you. God's law is that He wants every single person to prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. That is a law of God. God wants you to prosper. God wants you to be healthy. God wants you to be an overcomer. John chapter 10, verse 10. This is real simple, but it's true and it applies in every situation. The thief comes for no other purpose except to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, that was Jesus speaking, I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. God comes to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. If it's life, if it's good, it's God. If it's bad, if it's stealing, if it's killing, if it's destroying, it's the devil. That's real simplistic. But as a general rule, that is absolutely true. God is a good God giving good things. The devil is a bad devil. Whatever is bad is of the devil. Whatever is good is of God. God has ordained laws for your good, for you to prosper. You've got to learn what they are. And then you've got to stand up and demand your rights. Again, going back to our civil laws. If a person was to steal something from you, did you know that you've got a right to press charges, to have the police officers pick that person up, to prosecute them, to go through a trial. And if they were guilty, then you can actually assess some type of a punishment 
retribution, reimbursement. They could even go to jail, all these kind of things. But it is all dependent upon the person who's been wrong pressing charges. If you chose not to press charges, you could literally have the rights to for redress. You could have the right to have somebody thrown into jail, but you have to press those rights. In a sense, you have to take your authority and say, all right, I'll receive what is rightfully mine. And in the spiritual realm, this is exactly the same thing. We have rights and privileges. God has established His will for us, but it is up to you to claim what God has done for you. You have to press the issue. You have to take your authority and you have to enforce those spiritual laws that have been made for your benefit. Ignorance of the spiritual laws will keep you from pressing charges. It will keep you from keeping Satan out of the picture. Instead, you will let Satan run wild thinking that you don't have any authority or any power. We just don't know what's rightfully ours. Christians are believing that we have to be sick, that we have to be poor, that we have to be discouraged, that this is just the way that it is. They don't know that Jesus has redeemed us from these things. I tell you, these are powerful, powerful truths that I'm sharing. God has created His kingdom to operate under spiritual laws, just the same way that the physical world operates under natural laws, and all you can do is cooperate with them. You can't supersede them. You can't change these natural laws. They're consistent. They're constant. They're universal. In the same way, God's created spiritual laws. And you can't just pick and choose and say, well then, since I have authority as a believer, then I am going to command that I get this house, this car. It is under my power and authority, and I command it and say that it's so. No, you have to cooperate with the laws of God. Matter of fact, there are laws of God that specifically tell you not to covet your neighbor's house or his wife or any of these kind of things. I've given some examples already talking about people who tried to use scriptures about authority to claim another person's mate, to command the person to die and to get out of the way. See, God doesn't have a law that promised that you could just use His power at your whims for selfish purposes. And therefore, you can say all you want to and claim in the name of Jesus that this person is dying and that you're going to marry their mate, but it's not going to work because God hasn't provided those things for you. There aren't any spiritual laws to govern it. Let me give you an example of what we're talking about. Over here in the fifth chapter of the book of Mark is an example of the woman who had an issue of blood and she came and touched the hem of Jesus' garment and was healed. And if you would look closely at this example, I think that you'll see illustrated what I'm trying to say about how God operates by law. He's established laws and then He's given us the authority to enforce these laws. In Mark chapter 5... And in verse 25, it says, A certain woman, which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse, when she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind, and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? 
And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Now this example illustrates something that I call the laws of faith or the laws of God. Here is this woman came behind in the press. And this word press here, uh, matter of fact, the disciples later on said, Lord, don't you see that the multitude is thronging thee? This word press and throng here means that there was a multitude of people round about him. And it means that they were touching him. They were touching him trying to be healed because out of his uh, body was flowing virtue, so much so that people were healed just in touching him. So there was a multitude of people round about him, and they were thronging him, pressing him. That means that they were touching him. He was constantly bumping into them. People were reaching out, trying to receive their healing. And in a situation like this, a little woman with an issue of blood came, touched the hem of his garment, and boom, the power of God flowed instantly right through Jesus' body, through his garment, into this woman, and instantly she was healed of an infirmity that she had had for 12 years. Now, after all of this happened, Jesus turned around and he says, Who touched me? Did you know that the religious concept about this is that people believe Jesus knew all things? And so therefore, this was actually a rhetorical question. He didn't really mean it. He already knew everything that had gone on. But you know, I do not believe that that is accurate at all. The Bible says in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. I believe that Jesus was God, but he was in the flesh. And in his physical body, Jesus had to learn things the same way that you and I have to learn things. It says he increased in wisdom and in knowledge. I believe that in his spirit, he was Lord at his birth. If you go back to the Christmas story, what we uh, traditionally call that, Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 2, you'll find out that the angels sang uh, Jesus. Uh, they, excuse me, they told the um, shepherds to go see uh, him that is born, Jesus, who is Christ the King, and they called him Lord. The angels called him Lord at his birth. So in the spirit realm, he was God in the spirit, but he did not come out of the womb speaking Hebrew. He had to learn who he was. He had to learn to walk. He had to learn to eat. He had to learn things. And in Jesus' physical body, there were limitations, not limitations of sin, but God just didn't make our physical part of us able to perceive things that we haven't learned through our senses. When Jesus was walking through this crowd, when this woman touched his garment and virtue flowed out of him, he was able to perceive the power of God flowing through him, but he didn't know who touched him. Now, some people may disagree with that, but I believe it's obvious. If you just take this scripture that Jesus didn't know who touched him, and here's the significance, and here's the main illustration I'm trying to use this story for, that most people have this concept that when you approach God for a healing or for any type of thing that you need, that you basically put this petition out before God. God evaluates you on how holy you are, how worthy you are, whether you've paid your tithes, whether you've 
fasting long enough, whether you are good enough, moral enough, whether your situation is desperate enough, how many people are praying for you, all of these other criteria. They believe that God evaluates you to see whether you're worthy. And then, based on His personal evaluation, He either releases His power and you get healed, or He will stop it and say, nope, you haven't prayed enough. You haven't fasted enough. You aren't holy enough. You've got this sin in your life. Until you deal with this, I won't heal you. That's kind of the way that people see God is He's up there evaluating us and then depending on His evaluation, He'll either release His power or He'll stop it. Well, see, this illustration, this story completely kills that idea because Jesus did not even know who this woman was. He didn't see her coming. She touched the hem of His garment. He perceived the power flowing, but He says, Who touched me? Now, either He was being coy with this woman Either he was asking a rhetorical question, which just is not what this story is teaching, or he honestly didn't know this woman. But here's the point. The power of God just flowed instantly like that without him sizing her up, evaluating whether she was worthy or not. And what this does, it shows that the power of God flows under law. There are laws. If you operate in faith, If you take your authority, and I'll go back through and I'll share some of these laws that this woman operated in, but when you plug in, when you tap into these laws, the power of God just flows like that. And it's not God who sizes up one person and says, you are worthy, I'm going to release my power towards you. And then he looks at another person and he says, no, you aren't worthy. It's not like that at all. There are just laws that govern how the power of God operates. And if you cooperate with those laws and put them into effect, the power flows. If you don't, the power doesn't flow. And it's nothing about God loving one person more than another. It's just a matter of law. He established His kingdom to operate under spiritual laws. And what we've got to do as believers is to find out what these laws are and just learn to cooperate with them. Did you know electricity operates under law? And if you grab a wire, if you cooperate with those laws, if you are grounded, and if there is live electricity flowing through that wire, did you know it'll kill you? And it's not the electric company that just looked at you and says, I'm going to teach him a lesson. And so they killed you. No, there's just natural laws. You put those laws into effect and that juice will flow. On the other hand, you know the reason that a bird can land on a high wire and it doesn't electrocute them? Because they aren't grounded. And so because of that, They don't die. It's not because, you know, the electric company loves birds more than it loves people. No, it's just laws. There are laws that that govern how this power flows. Did you know that electricity has been on the earth since God created the earth? It's always been here. There's been thunderstorms. There's static electricity. You know, people could have used electricity 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago if they would have understood the laws that governed it. It wasn't God who only created electricity in the last 100 or 200 years and allowed people to start using it. No electricity had been here. It was our ignorance of those laws that kept us from being benefited by electricity. And see, it's the same thing in the spiritual realm. It is not God who just for hundreds of years, maybe even a thousand years during the dark ages, let healing, gifts of the Spirit, supernatural things of the Holy Spirit pass away. That's not what happened. God isn't the one that shut off the power. 
It was people entered into the dark ages. People began to just lose the knowledge of the things of God. The early New Testament church operated strongly in these things. But then for whatever reason, they came into this place of believing that God's miracles and supernatural power had passed away with the apostles. And then from 1904 in Azusa Street, there was an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. That wasn't the first time, but that was a pre- uh, uh, preeminent one, one that got a lot of publicity. And the power of the Holy Spirit began to be manifest again. Then in the uh, early days of the Pentecostal movement in the 1900s, there was an influx of healings and deliverance and things, and it comes on up to the present day, and we're seeing great, great miracles happen. It is not God who operated in cycles, and for the first 200 years, there was a supernatural power being released, but then God turned it off for a 1,500 years, and then he turned it back on, and right now we're in a move, in a wave of God. See, that's not the way that it works. No more so than people who lived a 1,000 years ago. It was God that was keeping them from using electricity and using airplanes and cars. No, all of the laws were here, but people's ignorance kept them from taking advantage of these laws. And because of it, there were people that died of heat when they could have had air conditioning if they would have known what the laws were. There were people who were hindered by not being able to move over a long distance in a short period of time. They had to walk or ride a camel or a donkey. And it wasn't God who kept them in ignorance. It was them that just didn't know these things. And it's the same thing. It is not God who is not healing you, who isn't blessing you. It is not God who is willed that you suffer. God has created laws, but you've got to discover what those laws are. You've got to learn how to cooperate with them and then learn how to enforce these laws. Man, I think that is such a powerful, powerful truth. And there's people that bristle at what I'm saying, and they say, I just disagree with what you're saying. That puts the responsibility on me. You're saying it's up to me to grab hold of these things. Yep, that's exactly what I'm saying. I'm saying that it's not God who hasn't healed you, prospered you, and delivered you. It's your own ignorance. And I'm not saying that to be critical of you. It's my own ignorance that keeps us in these bondages. God has already done His part. The Word of God teaches how the Lord is already healed And yet, we have to take advantage of it. If you go back to Mark chapter 5 and look at this woman who touched the hem of Jesus' garment, did you know that there was a multitude, it says? We don't know what a multitude is. I certainly would think it's more than 100 people or maybe 200. It could have been 300, 400 people trying to follow Jesus through these city streets and stuff. There was a lot of people. And it says that they were thronging Him and pressing Him They didn't just want to be near him. They wanted to touch him because there was power and virtue flowing out of him and healing people. So there was a multitude there. You know that many of them needed things. They needed to be healed, delivered. They had needs. And yet one person out of a multitude got healed. This isn't the only time you see this happen. Same thing happened in the fifth chapter of the book of John where he was at the pool of Bethesda and there was a multitude of impotent folk and yet one person got healed. Why is it that one person gets healed when there's many people that need it? You know, why is it that some of you who are watching this program don't receive your healing and yet you know somebody else that has? Or you hear me give a testimony about somebody who's been healed. How come you don't get healed? Well, I can tell you one of the reasons is because you don't understand that God has already done His part, 
You aren't taking your authority. You aren't enforcing laws. You're ignorant of the laws that God has commanded. And instead, you are just passively going to God and saying, God, will you heal me if it be your will? Lord, will you set me free? Lord, will you move in my life? You can, you can say that a lot of different ways, but the way the Bible terms that is unbelief. You don't believe the record when God says, by his stripes you were healed, 1 Peter 2.24. It puts it into the past tense as already an accomplished thing. He's already done it. And instead of you believing that and standing there and saying, I know it's done, he's put the same power on the inside of me that raised Jesus from the dead. Ephesians 1.18 says that. And I take my authority and now I speak to my problem and I command these things to happen. Instead of us taking our authority, we are just going passively to God and saying, God, will you please heal me if it be your will? And that's what the Bible calls unbelief. And that's the reason that we aren't receiving. We are ignorant of the laws of God. This woman in the fifth chapter of the book of Mark got healed because, look what she said up here. This is in Mark chapter 5. And in verse 28, she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. You know, I haven't got time to go into this completely. But let me just say that one of the laws, and there's many, many laws, but one of the laws, spiritual laws that governs whether you receive from God is the power of your words. It says in Proverbs chapter 18, let me just turn over here and read this. Proverbs chapter 18 and in verse 20, it says, um, "Death and, or excuse me, verse 20, a man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth, and with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof." These scriptures, and there's many others, Matthew chapter 12, verse 35, around in there, uh, James chapter 3. Mark chapter 11, there's a lot of scriptures in the Word that talk about the power of our words. But this makes it very clear. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. See, many of us, when we are trying to receive a healing from the Lord, we just ignore this law. And we say, well, you know, I've heard people talk about this name it, claim it, blab it, grab it group that you can have what you say and that you're supposed to say that you're healed when you don't really feel healed. And things, and I've heard people before that say, well, I just don't believe in that kind of stuff. And so they go ahead, and if somebody asks, how are you? Oh, I'm dying. I've only got a week to live. The doctor told me it's terrible. I feel bad, all of these things. They are releasing death with their mouth. They're speaking negative, and yet they'll go to the Lord and say, oh, God, heal me if it be your will. And then if they don't see a physical healing manifest, they get upset with God as if God failed. See, there are laws that govern how healing works. One of them is you will have what you say, Mark chapter 11, verse 23. Another one, the same principle, it's just in a different passage of Scripture, Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. If you speak death out of your mouth and then want life, it doesn't work that way. And you may say, well, I just don't believe that. Well, that would be like a person saying, I just don't believe that copper is a better conductor of electricity than wood. And so, you know what? I'm going to wire my house with wood, not copper. And you plug in the electricity into a, a, a connection of wood, and I guarantee you the electricity is not going to flow. It won't run your appliances. It won't run your air conditioning. 
You may not like it, but this is how God established these laws. Faith flows through words. In the power of words are death and life. And your ignorance of that law doesn't mean that the law is going to change. You can sit here and say, oh, I can sit here and say whatever I want to, and it doesn't make any difference. Well, that's not true. That's just not the way that the kingdom operates. And I can promise you, a person who says, well, electricity will flow just as good through wood as it will through copper, you can think what you want to, but that's not the way that the laws operate. It's not up to you to make the laws. You just have to discover what they are and then enforce them. This is what God's Word says. You have to speak it. This woman in Mark chapter 5 said with her mouth, If I may but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. She started putting some of the supernatural spiritual laws of God into effect. And when she did, boom, the power of God flowed just like that. Jesus didn't size her up, evaluate her worthiness, but instead the power of God just flows when we enforce the laws. I've used this example like of electricity. Electricity isn't personal when it kills a person. There's just laws that you either cooperate with them and you can use electricity to your advantage, or if you violate those laws, those same laws will kill you. And see, the same thing operates in the kingdom of God. There's a lot of people who pray for healing. And because they don't understand the spiritual laws that govern healing, well, then when they don't see a person healed... They get mad at God, like, God, if you wanted to, you could have healed this person. But no, God has set up the kingdom to operate under laws, and He can't just violate those laws. You know, the Lord doesn't want people to die from uh, gravity, from falling off bridges and falling off cliffs and things like that. It's not God's will. We just had a man recently here in Colorado Springs, one of our soldiers who had been in Iraq, but he came back, he was climbing on some of the rocks, uh, in the mountains around here, and he fell. I forgot how far, 300 feet or something like that, and it killed him. He survived a rock, but he came back here, and uh, he fell off of this rock, and it killed him. And you know what? That wasn't God's will that this man die. But what's the Lord going to do? Is he going to stop the law of gravity to save this man's life? See, he created laws that govern how this physical world operates. And if God was to suspend the law of gravity because he didn't want this guy to die, well, then there would have been multitudes of other people, depending on the law of gravity, who would have died. People who were driving cars that depend on gravity to hold that car on the ground. If he suspended gravity, as they go around the corner, a car just takes off, people get killed. Terrible things could happen. You know what? God created these laws, and He doesn't just suspend them. There's people that get killed because they don't cooperate with the laws of gravity. If you jump off a 10-story building, that gravity is going to kill you. God intended gravity to be to your advantage. It's to help us to function here on this earth. I'm sitting in this chair, not bolted down, held down. I'm not having to force myself to stay here. Gravity, I'm using it. But this same law of gravity that helps me if I cooperate with it will kill me if I violate it. And see, it's the same thing in the spiritual realm. You know, I know that there's some people who just don't like this approach at all because it's comforting to you to feel that God is the one who willed that these people died, that this person failed, that this person had a nervous breakdown. It was God's will that this marriage break up. You find comfort in that because it takes all responsibility away from you. 
and you're able to just say whatever will be, will be, and you just roll with the punches. And I can understand that what I'm saying is unsettling to people, but it's the truth, and the truth will set you free. You know, there was a girl that my wife and I both knew. We were both, both very close with her, and I was with her when she died. And uh, she was praying and saying, boy, if God's going to heal me, now's the time. It's got to be now. And you know what? She was believing for healing. We were shocked when she died because we really expected God to heal her. But I found out years later, it took me three and a half or four years to learn enough from the Word of God to figure out what was going on. But we violated so many laws. We did so many things wrong. I could spend a long time explaining all that to you, but let me just give you a real quick thing that I think will illustrate this. At the time, I was under a doctrine, a teaching, that uh, God put tragedy in your life to perfect you, that God would bless you with cancers, bless you with tumors, because it was through your hardships that you were made better. And I absolutely disagree with this. But in the beginning, I believed that. I accepted it. And I actually came from a place in Mildell, Louisiana, where I heard a man teach that Satan was God's messenger boy. And anything that Satan wants to do in your life, he has to get permission from God. So ultimately, God is the one that's controlling even the bad. And that bad things are actually God-given to help us and perfect us. I do not believe that. But at the time I was taught that, I came home from this conference. I brought this tape. Actually, at that time, it was a reel-to-reel tape entitled, Satan is God's Messenger Boy. I gave it to this girl. And on there, this guy was using a teaching, and he gave the example of a boy in high school who was too timid and too shy to witness And so he just, you know, wasn't bold enough to speak to people, but yet he wanted God to use him. So he says, God, I'll do anything. He says, put sickness on me. Give me a cancer or something so that people will see that I'm not afraid to die. And the next day, this guy came down with leukemia. And then he died eventually of leukemia. He was a football player. He witnessed to people. There was a whole school turned out at his funeral, and at his funeral, four people got born again. And this man used that as an example of how God answered this boy's prayer to be a witness by putting leukemia on him and that this was God's way of blessing him. Now, that is absolutely wrong, but that's what we were taught. That's what I brought home. This girl listened to that tape. She prayed the exact same prayer that was on that tape and says, God, give me leukemia so that I could be a witness. The next day, she passed out. They rushed her to the hospital. She had acute leukemia, and she died of leukemia. That wasn't God that answered that prayer. God's not the one that puts sickness and disease on us. Satan takes advantage of that. We drop all of our defenses. We open ourselves up to leukemia, believing that that is of God. This girl died, and at her funeral, four people got born again. I was there. We saw four people stand up and get born again. So what I'm saying is, see, some people just thought, well, it must not have been God's will. But how dumb can you get and still breathe? And I'm not saying that to be critical of this girl or of myself. I was involved in this, but we were so stupid that we were asking God for cancer. God's not going to give us cancer. But I can guarantee you, you start asking for that, believing that God is the source of it, 
There are lying spirits out there that go about transforming themselves into an angel of light. They will claim to be God's messenger. And I guarantee you, if you start praying for tragedy in your life, you'll get plenty of it. And then you'll think that it's God. See, there are laws that govern how God operates. And we asked for this sickness. We submitted to it. We claimed that it was God. Therefore, we never fought against it. We never actively resisted the devil because in our way of thinking, that would have been fighting against God. We thought God was the one that gave this sickness. So here we were asking for sickness, believing God answered our prayer, gave this girl leukemia, and then on the other hand, asking God to take it away. That's, that's double-minded. A double-minded man shall not receive anything of the Lord. That's voiding, violating the laws of God. And I can guarantee you that girl died through my influence. I had a part in this. And you know what? I know that there's some people watching this program who just, you can't accept what I'm saying because that would mean somebody's died. That, that would mean that you lost this marriage because you didn't understand the laws of God and you didn't know how to stand and fight. That would mean that you experienced tragedy and negative things and it wasn't God who willed it, that it was your fault, it was the devil, it was somebody else. And there are some of you that don't want to accept responsibility. And I understand how you feel. But I'm telling you, I've been there. I accepted responsibility. I came to realize that, you know what, Father, we did so many things wrong. We violated your word. We opened up a door to the devil through wrong teaching, wrong believing. But I accepted responsibility. I've changed. I've spoken the truth. And now I've seen a lot of people healed of leukemia. I can't undo what's done, but you know what? I can redeem that situation by going and sharing the truth with other people and seeing them set free. Look at this in Mark chapter 6. This is Jesus when he went into his own hometown in verse 2. Mark chapter 6, verse 2. It says, When the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence, then, from whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. Now see, this was in his own countries, what verse 1 says. And you can see this by the reaction of the people. They knew him as the carpenter. They knew him as the son of Joseph and of Mary. The truth is, he wasn't the son of Joseph. They didn't know the full deal. He, Jesus wasn't a car carpenter. He was the son of God who worked as a carpenter for a period of time. They knew him in the physical, natural realm, but they didn't know who he truly was. And because of this, they... Um, rejected his ministry. They thought he is making himself somebody better than us. He grew up with us. He grew up with my kids. I've seen him since he was a little tiny kid. And here he is proclaiming that he is the son of God. And because of their familiarity with him, they rejected him. And it says they were offended in him. And in verse 4 it says, But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. And in verse 5, Mark 6, 5, it says, He could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. Notice in verse 5, it says, He could there do no mighty work. It didn't say he wouldn't do it. This is one of the points I've been trying to get across over and over and over again. 
people pray and ask for something, and then if it doesn't come to pass, they think it was God that chose not to do it. I'm saying God is not free to move independent of us. He has to have a believer taking his authority, knowing what the laws are, to flow through us. We have to cooperate with God. And if you pray and don't see something come to pass, what you need to do is evaluate, is what you prayed for one of the laws of God? Has God promised you these things? If you're praying for something that's not revealed in the Word, well, then you need to quit praying for it because it's not good for you and God hasn't provided it. But if you can find something like healing, where it says, by his stripes ye were healed. Third John verse 2 says, I wish above all things that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. If you can find something that is promised to you, guaranteed to you in the Word, then instead of just throwing your prayer up and saying, God, if it's your will, answer this prayer. No, instead you have to take the place of a believer, an authority, and you have to say, this is a law of God. And I command my body to respond. I am commanding the things that God has already done to come into pass. Come to pass. But see, you have to know this. It says Jesus could do no mighty work. Not that he wouldn't do it. He couldn't do it. God himself will not violate our free will. God himself will not make you receive. He has provided the power. He's generated the power. You have to take advantage of it. You have to flip the switch. You have to learn to cooperate with it. It is not God who's letting people die. It is not God who is letting people go to hell. People are choosing to go to hell because God gave us a free choice, but He is doing everything He can to keep that from coming to pass. When, when any person stands before God and they get judged and they are condemned to hell, I guarantee you there's not going to be a single person in the history of this world who will be able to point their finger in Jesus' face and say, it's not fair, you didn't give me a chance. I can guarantee you God has put obstacles, barriers, mountains in front of every person who is headed to hell that they've had to climb over. Uh, mountains of their own con conscience that has convicted them and told them that they were wrong and they should quit this. People that have come across their path. There has been obstacle after obstacle. God is faithful to deal with every person who's ever come on the face of this earth and try and turn them from their destructive ways. But they choose to, cho to re reject those things, to ignore them, to climb over every one of these barriers and nobody is going to be able to point their finger at God and say it's not fair. They're going to know that it was absolutely their choice. God is not the one who is sending people to hell. They are choosing and God allows it because He gave us that freedom of choice. It's the same thing with healing. It is not God who is letting people be sick. God has already provided for the healing of every single person, but we are ignorant of His laws and just as Jesus in his hometown couldn't do many mighty works, we can't do many mighty works because of the unbelief that is so prevalent. If you read this exact same passage of Scripture, it's the same story, but it's in Matthew's account. In Matthew chapter 13, it says in the very last verse, "...he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief." not because of his unbelief, not because of his lack of willingness to do it. It was because of their unbelief. Here's a statement that may shock some of you, but it's absolutely true, that your unbelief stops God from doing what he wants to do. 
God will not move in your life without your cooperation. You have to be in agreement with God. That's one of the laws of God. The sanctity of your freedom of choice, your free will, is something that God will not violate. Now, you may desire the end results, but if you are going to disobey every single law along the way, say, for instance, a person is desiring to have health, but you know what? You're going to go out and you're going to commit sexual immorality. You're going to shack up with anybody and everybody. You're going to be a homosexual. You're going to do all of these kind of things. Through those actions, you are putting laws into effect. There are laws of sowing and reaping. You will have what you sow. That uh, your faith without works is dead. You may be praying for health, but if you are over here involved in a lifestyle that is inconsistent with health, that is exposing you to all of these other things, you are putting a law of God into effect that you're going to reap what you sow. Then you're going to come back around and try and pray and break those laws. It's not going to work that way. I know some of you really dislike what I'm saying, but I'm telling you the truth. These are, this is how it works. I recently prayed with a woman in a hospital, and this woman was very, very, very close to death. I mean, she looked terrible. She was barely alive. She couldn't talk. She couldn't communicate. I tried with everything I could to discern if there was anything I could minister to her or to the family, and I couldn't perceive anything. It's just like I was getting nothing. So anyway, I just prayed for her the best I knew how and left. And before I left town, they called me and said the doctor said she only had an hour or two to live. She was going downhill fast. I was holding a meeting. I sent some people back to the hospital. They couldn't find out anything. But later they got to talking to the family and found out that this woman had said she just gave up. She was ready to die. She quit and she quit believing. You know what? I was trying to exercise my authority and get this woman healed but it was against her will. This woman had already given up. And see, it doesn't work that way. These are some of the laws that govern how things work. God gave us a free choice. And once a person quits and gives up, even a medical doctor will tell you that when a person loses their will to live, that even though they might have something minor that could be treated by medicine, if they lose their will to live, they will die. And on the other hand, when a person goes beyond medical's ability, they'll say, well, you know, they're going to die. There's nothing we can do for them. Some people just have a will and they fight through. Your personal will is a very powerful, important thing. It's one of the laws that God has given that you can't have your will in this direction and then expect to get results that would come from going in another direction. You can't just go out and serve the devil and yield to him and give Satan total access to you and reap the benefits of a godly life. It's not because God won't flow. It's not because God looks at you and says you're unworthy. We're all unworthy in that sense. God doesn't move in our life because we deserve it. But you do have to cooperate with God. You have to learn what his laws are. And you need to cooperate with them. You cannot be just watching stuff on television that ministers depression. You can't just look at the bad news. You can't watch adultery and fornication and homosexuality, X-rated, R-rated movies, and do all of this and then have a pure heart over here in the area of sexuality. If you want a pure heart, you're going to have to think on things that are honest and pure and lovely and all of these kind of things. And yet people misunderstand these laws. Here's a law of God. Uh, Proverbs 23, 7 says, As he thinketh in his heart, so is he. 
That's a law of God. Romans 8, 6 says, To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That's a law of God. You are going to reap emotions based on what you focus your attention upon. So if you are trying to have peace over here and yet you are meditating on things that have no peace in it, it's hatred, it's strife, it's ungodliness, and then you're going to pray and ask for peace, that's not the way that it works. See, you need to understand and learn these things from Scripture that your emotions will follow what you think. The Lord will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him because he trusteth in him. Isaiah 26, 3. Your mind is going to follow your thoughts. That's a law of God. So if you're praying for peace and aren't focused upon God, you're just spitting in the wind. It's not going to work. Desiring the things of God is a part of the process, but it's not all that there is to it. Let me take another passage of Scripture to illustrate this out of 2 Peter chapter 1. And in verse 2, it says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace is multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. It isn't multiplied to you through prayer. It's not just a matter of you pleading with God. Here is one of the laws of God, and that is that you have to think on things that are right and holy and pure for it to work. Here's another scripture that goes along with that out of Philippians chapter 4. In uh, verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Notice it talks about staying your minds upon God and then the peace of God will keep your heart and mind. And then it follows it up in the next verse by saying, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, Think on these things. In other words, this is a command about keeping your mind stayed on the Lord. Isaiah 26, 3, The Lord will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him because he trusteth in him. Those are laws of God. This is the way the kingdom works. God made you so that your feelings and even your health, everything follows the way you think. If you're thinking on depressing things, you're going to be depressed. And yet we, I find Christians all of the time who are praying for results that their life is inconsistent with. They aren't keeping their mind stayed on God. You know, another scripture over in Proverbs chapter 4, it says that God's word is health to all of your flesh and life to them that find it. God's word, the word of God is physical health unto you. It also says that in Psalms 107, verse 20, that He sent His Word and healed them and delivered them from all of their destructions. God's Word brings health, and yet there's a lot of people who are sick. They're praying for health, but they're violating the instructions. They aren't taking the medicine. You know, this would be similar to you going to the doctor and the doctor prescribing a method of treatment, giving you some pills, and tell you to take these pills, and then you don't take the pills, and then you get upset at the doctor about your treatment is no good. It didn't work. 
And if you didn't take the pills, you have no right to criticize the doctor. You didn't take the treatment. You didn't cooperate. You didn't follow those things. See, they give you a treatment, but then you have to follow that treatment. God has given us a treatment. He says God sent His Word and healed them and delivered them from all their destructions. God's Word is health unto all of your flesh and life to them that find it. He told us these things. This is God's prescription. This is how the kingdom operates. These are laws that govern faith, healing, and yet we violate those and then just pray for healing and wonder why things aren't working. Man, that is ignorance gone to seed, if you don't mind me for just being blunt. You know, I'm not saying these things trying to condemn anybody. I know that some people take it that way. But what I'm really out to do is people have condemned God. People have said it's God's will that this person die. It's God's will that I fail. It's God's will that this business didn't work. It's God's will that this marriage break up. It's God's will that my children are rebellious. It's God's will on and on and on. And we blame God for things. Why? Because I prayed and I asked for something and it didn't come to pass. And we are just totally ignoring this fact that God cannot do everything He wants to do. There are laws that govern how God's kingdom operates. And if we void them, if we violate those laws, we are actually empowering the devil to come in and steal, kill, and destroy. We aren't empowering God's abundant life to come. Here's another scripture in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. It says, Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think, how many of you believe that that scripture is true? That God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think? Did you know that's not true? And I know some of you are just shocked. Well, it is true. It says it right there. No, if you continue on reading, it says, Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that works in us. See, that puts a limitation on it. God is not free to move in your life independent of you. God has set it up to where He has to flow through people. He does not control your life without your consent and without your agreement. There has to be power working on the inside of you, specifically the power of faith. And you have to stir yourself up and make that faith come alive. And there's a lot of people that they plop themselves in front of a television, they listen to unbelief, they become discouraged and depressed listening to all of the bad news, they spend virtually no time with God, no time in the Word of God, and then they just throw a prayer out, and if it doesn't come to pass, well then God failed. You know what, I'm not trying to condemn you, but I am saying that this is absolutely wrong for us to condemn God. It is not God who is failing to be a good God. It is not God who's failing to answer people's prayer. It's us who fails to understand that there are laws that govern, even God's operation. God is not going to resist the devil for you. God is not going to do what He told you to do. He told you to go heal the sick. He generates the power. He puts it on the inside of you. According to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is placed on the inside of every born-again believer. He's equipped you, but then He told you to go lay hands on the sick and they would recover. And many of us are just violating every instruction, every admonition of the Word of God, throwing a prayer out, and if it doesn't work, well, then God failed. Boy, I just hate that. I hate that because I know in my heart that God is faithful, faithful, faithful. 
God has been faithful. I've had bad things happen in my life. I've had people around me die that were close to me that I prayed for their healing. But you know what? In many, most of those, I can see that it was me that missed it. Some, I still don't understand exactly why things worked out the way they have. But I have come to this firm conviction that God is always faithful. It is never Him that fails. It was me that somehow failed to understand the laws of God. And many people are uncomfortable with admitting that they've got a failure anywhere in their life, but to me, that's comforting to know that I'm the problem and not God. And I tell you, to me, this is critical. This is one of the great benefits of understanding the authority of the believer. It does put responsibility on us, yes, but at the same time, it explains why we don't always see things work, because God isn't always having people who will cooperate with His laws. God's release of His power in your life is directly proportional to how you believe. It is not proportional to your holiness. All of us fail and come short. But in a sense, your holiness or your actions affect your faith. It is proportional to your faith. You get what you believe. If you believe that God has already healed you and that it's a done deal, that you have authority and you begin to take that authority and use it, then you'll see that healing manifest. But if you believe God can heal, but you believe He hasn't healed, then that healing will not come to pass. I tell you, these are just some of the laws that govern the kingdom of God. And people don't like it, but just the fact that you don't like it doesn't mean that it changes the laws. This is how God is. Let me go back to Mark chapter 5. This is the passage of Scripture about this woman that came and touched the hem of Jesus' garment. And because she put the laws into effect, the power of God just flowed without Him sizing her up, evaluating her anything. It's just spiritual laws. You cooperate with them, boom, the power of God operates. You disobey them, and it'll stop the power of God from operating. This woman, it says in Mark chapter 5, and in verse 26, had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. You know, this paints a picture that this woman had gone to physicians for 12 years. It had depleted every penny that she had, and yet they hadn't helped her a bit. I can't help but just make this statement that, you know what, if a person was to come to me and give me every penny that they ever had, some little widow woman, and if she gave me everything she ever had and still had her problem, I guarantee you somebody would be on the news exposing me as a crook, a charlatan. They would come against a preacher. We just expect the things of God to work, boom, like that. But we don't think a thing about giving. Every penny we've got, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to doctors, who kill people and who destroy people, who make accidents. I'm not against doctors, but I'm saying they aren't infallible. But nobody thinks a thing about that. We understand that there are laws. There are natural things. Not everything works. There can be exceptions. There can be problems that arise. It's not as simple, straightforward. But when it comes to the things of God, people just expect it to work with the ease and that there's no problem. You know what? There are spiritual laws that govern the kingdom of God. And it's not that God has a hard time doing things, but see, it's us. We are dealing with things. And so there may be a problem in you receiving through me, not because God is a problem, but because I don't know everything, because you don't know everything. You know, I do this often, praying with people. 
and I'll pray with a person and we'll see, say, 50% of their healing manifest. And then I'll go back and I'll just keep praying with them and keep praying with them. And I've had people come up before and say, if it's really God, how come you have to pray over and over and have to stand and believe God? If it was God, they'd just be healed. Well, see, that's a person that doesn't understand that there's spiritual laws and that we are just barely beginning to scratch the surface and understand how these things work. And sometimes it takes time, not because God has problems, but because I'm having a problem. I just don't understand everything. You don't understand everything. See, this woman, she had suffered from a physician. Nobody thought a thing about that. But I can guarantee you, many of her friends who thought she was just doing the right thing, letting these physicians bleed her of everything she was worth financially, hadn't helped her a bit, they would encourage her to go back and try that again. But they would call her probably fanatical. You know what? You're an extremist to try and go and receive a supernatural healing through Jesus. But see, this woman, she was determined... She heard about Jesus. Here's another law of God. It says in Romans chapter 10, How can they believe on Him whom they have not heard? How can they hear except somebody preach? How can they preach except they be sent? Then verse 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. There are people who are trying to believe God and receive from God, and yet they aren't getting in the Word of God. Here's another law of God. You got to be in the Word. Faith comes through the Word of God. If you want to increase your faith and release faith, you've got to increase your revelation knowledge of the Word of God. That's just how simple it is. There's people that violate that law all of the time. They're just expecting to get it because they're in a desperate situation. They don't know the first thing about believing God. They don't study the Word. They, they just sit in front of a television and watch all of the junk on it and wondering why they aren't having faith. Faith comes by hearing. Unbelief comes by hearing. If you're going to listen to all of the junk that's on television and radio and not seek God, you're going to be full of unbelief, and then you will not receive. That's just the law of God. People don't like that, and they say, well, that doesn't fit my lifestyle. Maybe you ought to take your lifestyle and change it and make it fit the Word of God. Maybe there ought to be some changes on the inside of you. You know, I'm just being brutal, blunt with people, but I tell you, this is what's got to happen. People, are, it's just amazing. The people that come to me wanting God to intervene, and yet it's very obvious in talking to them that they haven't spent an hour in the Word of God in a year. They don't pray. They don't seek God. They haven't been studying the Word. They don't listen to tapes. They don't go to church. They're living their life totally for themselves. They're totally bound by the discouragement and the despair that comes with keeping your mind stayed on evil things. And then they want all of the benefits of keeping your mind stayed on God. It just doesn't work that way. And it just, it just uh, aggravates me. It really does. I just get upset that people criticize God and slander God as if He's the one that's failed. God is not failing. Brothers and sisters, it's us. It's failed to understand the laws of God. This woman, see, she got desperate. She was committed that she was going to receive something from God. I've already mentioned this. She said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. That's one of the laws of God. And then she put actions to it. If she would have stayed on the edge of the crowd saying, well, I believe. I believe I received. But if she hadn't have acted, she would have been in trouble. Here's another law. Uh, keep your finger here in Mark chapter 5, but look in John chapter 5. Here's what Jesus said 
In John chapter 5 and verse 44, How can ye believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? In other words, you know what? If you're a man pleaser, this will hinder faith. It'll keep you from believing. He says you cannot believe if you are seeking honor that comes from other people instead of God. You know what? If you're worried about what everybody else is going to say, it'll stop you from receiving. And this widow woman in Mark chapter 5, I won't take time to go to all the scriptures, but if you were to turn back to the Old Testament, specifically Leviticus, if anybody had an issue of blood, blood was considered to be unclean. And if you touched anything that a person with an issue of blood had touched, such as a saddle, such as a bowl, a basin, clothes, or anything, you were unclean. And so any person with an issue of blood was unclean, and any person who touched them would become unclean. So because of this, the Jews had a method of, uh, if you had uh, some uncleanness like this, that they literally could stone you to death if you were to come into a crowd of people. You literally had to stand on the edge of the crowd and yell out, unclean, unclean, so that people would stay away from you. So for this woman to crawl through this crowd and to touch the hem of Jesus' garment, I can guarantee you she touched people. She could have suffered the wrath of these people. She could have been condemned to death. She could have been stoned to death. And then when Jesus pointed her out in front of all of these people, you know what? It took a lot of courage for her to come forward. So here's another principle of God is that she got to a place where she didn't care what anybody else said. She didn't care about all of these things. She got more focused on God and what God had to say than what she was on what other people had to say. And I can guarantee you there's a lot of people that don't receive from God just because they're man-pleasers. In Proverbs chapter 29, I believe it's verse 25, the scripture there says, the fear of man brings a snare. That's a law of God. That's one of the principles. And see, if you are afraid of other people and what they're going to say, it'll hinder your faith. It'll keep you from receiving the thing that you're believing from God for. You've got to get to a place like Romans chapter 3 verse 4 says, let God be true and every man a liar. You've got to get to a place to where, God, you are all I care about. I'm going to do what you tell me regardless of the flack that I receive for it. And see, that's just one of the laws of God. You've got to believe with all of your heart. There can't be reservations. There can't be fears in these areas. And I tell you, these are just a few of the things. But this week I've been talking about that it's the laws that govern the kingdom. You enforce laws. The believer's authority doesn't choose and pick and make God do certain things. All you do is find out what God has already ordained, how He says it's going to work. You cooperate and you enforce those laws. That's what we've been talking about. And I tell you, this is a powerful truth, something that most people do not understand. 